We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Another Oscar race checkpoint for you as we dip into the once-a-year look we have when we slide into our TV analyst cloak. We're having Mike, Mike, and Emmy in this episode. Before we go back to talking about all things leading up to and through the award season as we are on the precipice of this big rush with all these big movies coming out, Michael. Like a TV analyst members-only jacket, a TV <laughs> analyst windbreaker I wouldn't think mm. it would be a cloak. No, you don't. You, I, I think I look good in a cloak. You don't think I could pull off a cape? Oh, you're a tall person. You're like six foot two. <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah, yeah. Dusters and cloaks for you. Yeah, right. For short people like me, no. <laughs> you wear a muumu. Yeah, a TV muumu. But uh, all right. So that's what we're going to have before we get into the movie stuff, before we get into the Oscars award stuff, we have to celebrate tv's academy's awards so once a year we call ourselves mike mike and emmy whether for a recap episode or as is the case today just a uh, a recap segment of what went down on tv's biggest night this past weekend well this is fascinating to talk about here mike because the ratings went up and i think that's an indication of like we got a host and cedric cedric the entertainer we got a lot of fixes in terms of like what went wrong with the oscars was very much fixed with these Emmys in terms of a actual broadcast, right? It's just filled with clips. We mm. got celebrities that are very happy to be hamming it up again <laughs> in a room where I, I thought it was like this breakneck pace of constant jokes. Like they're throwing everything at the wall, constant jokes, constant clips, trailers during the commercials, Conan O'Brien, Conan O'Brien-ing, which yes. was hilarious. Yes. You know, just like reunions and tributes and really fun programming and, and just rapid fire programming. Like the Shits Creek comedy, Catherine O'Hara, my God, I was laughing so I couldn't even hard. tell that. I didn't watch the whole program. I only saw some highlights. That Shits Creek reunion, I couldn't tell it was a bit until they were like 45 seconds in. I was the I same thought way. The, the, the prompter so, actually went dark. And then people were maligning like the sketches, but some of the sketches were funny. You had the, you know, the Emmy Losers support group with Jason Alexander, Zoe mm -hmm. Deschanel. Led by Cedric the Entertainer, and Fred Savage happens to be the guy directing it. So I mean, that was great. And then you have, Jay, you know, then the speeches are good. You have Bowen Yang. Yes, Kevin Feige, I'm athletic. Just went <laughs> Bowen Yang is going to be huge, by the way. I, I, ever since he came on to SNL a couple of years ago, I was like, wow, that guy is a star. And that's the thing, like, because you had all these SNL personalities throughout, whether it was right. Conan, like, literally, Conan killed me. I'm dying laughing. Stephen Colbert comes up to accept an award at the end of the night, and Conan O'Brien. <laughs> He just gets up there and he's just got his arms around people. Like, it's not too much to take away the moment and hog the moment, but it's just enough right. for, like, Stephen Colbert to play off of to make the speech funny and everything. Mm -hmm. And then you have Jason Sudeikis commenting on how, like, Lauren Michaels just leaves after he gets his win. And he's like, oh, he must be he must be taking a shit somewhere, <laughs> taking a dump. Or, you know, Lauren likes to watch the Emmys at home. That's the big thing with Lauren. <laughs> he just goes breaks off into that, you know, gag. And I was, I was laughing uh, at, at that. So 
you you have all of these you know talented comedians just crushing it, and and Cedric the Entertainer set the tone with four minutes of like a stand-up bit. I don't know how you do that. It's just the most difficult thing in the world where you have to simultaneously compliment everybody and dig at everybody and set up the audience at home for a whole night of award shows and reference all these things and make people laugh every 10 seconds, which he was able to do to me. So I don't Mm. understand. I don't understand award show comedy and why I differ on it every year with the rest of America. Because that's the thing. You and I, we get on... We don't have the same senses of humor as other pundits. Because all the pundits on film Twitter are like, just stop with the gags. Stop. And I'm like, more gags, more gags. <laughs> laughing with my hand up. Because I was laughing. So, CBS did right. And when CBS has a major award show, they usually do right. LL Cool J hosted the, uh, the Grammys for years. They do right by having somebody involved with CBS as their host. I was a little surprised to see Cedric the Entertainer was the host of the Emmys, but it makes sense. He's on a CBS show. Uh, the Neighbors, I can't remember the name of it, the one with Max Greenfeld as well, <laughs> but it makes sense once you realize that Cedric the Entertainer is in the CBS family. That's Network I thought, TV? Is that what yeah, that is? Yeah, it, that's uh, exactly what that is. <laughs> me, me and people my parents' age still watch occasionally because <laughs> um, I am my parents' age on the inside as well. But I was, I'm happy to hear that it was kind of a a well-produced show at least and it was snappy and it kept you interested it it wasn't without its blights or its downfalls or its warts oh there is a major problem and and this is so sad and strange because we thought it would be the least of the problems this year because we had an unprecedented number of people of color nominated yeah for the acting awards in particular and then every acting award goes to a white person I cringed so hard. Clayton Davis going into the night for Variety was like, this could be a historic night for Emmys. It could be a transcendent. There could be a huge statement made by the Television Academy. And I just, knowing, I knew Ted Lasso was going to do well. You know, Ted Lasso was going to have the Shit's Creek spot that happened last year. And you knew the Queen's Gambit was going to do well. So I was like, oh boy. (laughs) If people are expecting history to be made, this could be a very, very bad thing. Yeah, the biggest thing you knew would do well was the crown. I mean, right. I think Ted Lasso, we, we knew it would have competition from another white show in Hacks. Right. So they, the thing that I didn't get from the very beginning, and I, I love the Queen's Gambit, but I May Destroy You, uh, Steve McQueen's show on Amazon, excuse me. Uh, Small Axe. Small Axe, thank you. We love that. We reviewed that a year mm-hmm. ago. Underground Railroad on Amazon. I mean, these are all-time great limited series, anthology series. They're smushed in this one category. And it's a disaster. It's a whatever-the-hell category mm. that they need to split off now. TV is just too big to have so few major categories. I mean, they have competition, variety talks. I mean, they they basically have the reality side of things split up fairly well. Mm-hmm. Now you need, and you have a variety special, you have a sketch series, but now you need anthology series and limited series in their own categories. It just it has to be. You can't. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I really don't, especially because there's I mean, you're getting all these big names that used to do movies and used to be headlines in the cinema world. They come back to TV because there's just so much TV out there to come back to that. A lot of these people are only doing limited series and one offs and stuff like that. So I I think that's a good call by you. Because how do you how do you gauge like Hugh Grant and Ewan McGregor versus Lin-Manuel Miranda and Leslie Odom Jr. One, these right. two guys are on for six hours of television, and then these other two guys 
are on TV for two and a half hours of one musical. Right, right. Makes no sense. How do you, right. A, apples to apples, it doesn't work based on form and structure. I think this is a complaint we've had for a couple of years going now, too, is you're jogging something in my memory that's kind of ringing a bell back there. Um, mm. Emmy So White was a big deal. The Michael K. Williams, how you don't... I mean, I tweeted this out, too, as soon as he didn't win his Emmy. I don't know... If there's an Academy, they're going to be woefully out of touch in the moment, at least one major way, every award show. And I think that, I don't know how he doesn't win yeah. this his Emmy this year. Um, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, because I did a lot of it on Twitter already, about Hamilton. It has nothing to do with Emmy So White, obviously, but you're inviting the biggest studios to cherry pick what Emmys they want to go for in any year, if Hamilton's allowed to win. If a five-year-old tape recording of a stage play is allowed to win an Emmy. That's just... I, I have a whole diatribe about it on our Twitter. If you want to go at MM and Oscar on Twitter, go check it out. And yes, I'm holding the flag for Bo Burnham. And yes, I'm upset that he lost. And yes, I'm complaining that, you know, Disney can do something while I'm trying. It sounds like I'm advocating on behalf of Netflix, who is just as big, if not bigger than Disney as is anyway. But no, I'm I'm weeping for the artist, not necessarily the studio which bought the rights it, to it, the artist's work. He shouldn't be in the cat. It makes no sense, really, for him to be in. That's why, like, Hamilton should be something else i don't like i agree like categorizing hamilton in there but hamilton should win emmys that's the whole thing like why don't why didn't disney just put that out when they recorded it or the year after i don't understand i think that's just a poor precedent money they want to make the money first but there's a way you can differentiate just because you see something on disney plus you could put all kinds of bells and whistles in the post-production of it that differentiates it from having you be in the theater experiencing it live. I mean, those are two different things. You want to talk about apples-to-apples comparisons. Those are two completely different things anyway. I mean, watching something on Netflix versus watching something in the theater we talk about all the time has a different feel to it. Never mind seeing a live stage play of it versus a recording of it. Like it's bar- You could barely compare Bo Burnham and Dave Chappelle's comedy specials. Yeah. But how do you add Hamilton? Like it's another smorgasbord category that makes no sense whatsoever. And look, we can't we can't compute this stuff because we get mad at the Golden Globes. Like, why do they have comedy or musical? Right. Right. <laughs> right. We, we love again. We want more categories, but we want apples to apples because it's like it's very strange to compare. But I, you know, we've been saying it for a year. Like Hamilton should get like all these awards. And if it's eligible, it should win all these categories. So that's another thing that weirded me out. Like we, we have all these Hamilton actors, some that got nominated here and then they lose. How is that possible? I, I, I don't. And that only further muddies the water about, like, what are you treating these things as? Are they supposed to be of the moment? Are they supposed to be reflections of the year in which they're presenting the awards? Are they supposed to be just the best of? Is it just an apples-to-apples comparison? I guess there's merit in leaving all that up to interpretation by the individual voters. Clayton Davis, again, I'll reference him. He did a great job of covering the, uh, the Emmys, I thought. But he brought up the point of, are the Emmys balloting? Is it even being done properly? Are people just going down, you know, scrolling down this giant ballot looking for names that they know that jump out at them and just blindly picking the most popular names anyway, not even watching the program? So it's a lot of similar problems that we've brought up with the Academy and with the yeah. Academy voting that the Academy has, I guess, tried to address. And we've commented on how they've tried to address it as well. But it seems to permeate throughout the land of TV. So it's, it's very weird because we, you know, we we like the broadcast and then we we like the people who win and yet 
yeah, you have uh, just major, major issues. Like, we, we want more winners, I would say. And that's, again, the, their TV season is so long, over long, and it almost mm-hmm. seems like circular. Like, we still have Gillian Anderson winning for Margaret Thatcher after how long? We she still- won? She, that's that's still this year. It's still this year. I'm not, this isn't a bit. I didn't realize that. Like the crown went seven for seven. Ted Lasso won four. Hacks ate into that a little bit. The, the Queen's Gambit won the big awards, but I may destroy you and murder Durder. You know, bit into the uh, limited <laughs> series, and then you have Hamilton winning. You know, some spinoff awards in there, and they're all nominated together in the in the mix of that last miscellaneous category, which again it has to be broken off, in my opinion. That's kind of the theme, right? It's great job with the production of the television show, but the intricacies of what's actually being rewarded kind of should be put under a microscope. Like Never it, mind it, the the other fact where yeah. you only awarded white people. <laughs> That's a problem. That's yeah. a problem. And it's and it's idiotic. It doesn't right. make any sense. Like of course Evan it doesn't. Evan Peters is is fine. He's really good in, in Murder Dirter. There's mm-hmm. It's ridiculous, though, <laughs> that he's winning over the Hamilton actors or he's winning over, you know, uh, from from the other limited series. I mean, it just makes no sense. Well, we can move on. That's the uh, the Emmys recap here. Some positives, a lot of negatives. We're happy with the way the television program came off, but uh, obviously a lot more work to do. And Emmy So White is a rightful hashtag. Let's go on to some more awards in the world of film and the film awards branch. We can talk about TIFF, which gave out their audience award recently, and that went to Belfast, Michael. Yeah, I feel like I can get the confident voice going right now because that was the Mike, Mike, and Emmy segment, and I just like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really follow it as closely as I should. So, But now, all right, we got Belfast. We got Focus Features, Kenneth Branagh, Jamie Dornan, Katrina Balfe. Thank you, Stacy. Mm-hmm for helping us there. Kieran Hines, Judy Dench, and uh, Jude Hill going to be a child acting performance that uh, a lot of people are, are, are excited about because that's rare that you get great child acting performances. So Belfast had great buzz coming out of Telluride, Mike. We referenced Sa- Sasha Stone's rave review uh, mm. a couple episodes ago. Now Belfast is this bona fide Oscar contender because of this strong TIFF Oscars crossover. So we have 21 of the last 26 audience award winners at TIFF at least get nominated for an Oscar somewhere on the card. 18 of the last 26 uh, audience award members won an Oscar on the uh, somewhere on the Academy Awards Sunday. 16 of the last 26 audience award winners at TIFF were Best Picture nominees, and 12 of the last 13 of those ended up being Best Picture nominees. So of the last 13 TIFF Audience Award winners, uh, they're on a streak where 12 of those ended up as a Best Picture nominee come Oscar Sunday, and five of those previous 12, or 12 of the last 13, ended up winning Best Picture, including two of the last three. So this clearly illustrates just how influential uh, festivals like Toronto, like Venice, uh, and Cannes to a degree, have become in terms of Oscar campaigning, in terms of award season in general. I mean, just the last few years, it's been a run from TIFF. I mean, Nomadland in 2020, Green Book 2028, or 2018, 12 Years a Slave, going back to King's Speech, Slumdog Millionaire, American Beauty, Chariots of Fire. I mean, if you go all the way back, it's seven out of the last 43. But to have this recent history, this recent success, 
I mean, every, you have to go to TIFF. You have yeah, to go to TIFF. Yeah, something happened in the last 15 years where TIFF became uh, pretty well established as uh, a pretty serious arm in towards award season and towards major Oscar success. I agree. Yeah, so it, it's really cool to see the People's Choice Award paying off in that way and, and having an audience at a, such a huge film festival kind of putting up their own nomination and then seeing the Academy go with it more times than not. It's also cool to see like the runners up because yeah. we're discovering new films here, Mike. And this is one of those. It's not going to be a, a big name film that we previewed to death already. The first runner up for the People's Choice Award at TIFF was a movie called Scarborough. That's a Canadian film directed by Sasha Nakai and Rich Williamson. It's written by Catherine Hernandez. Three children become friends while living in a low income neighborhood. Yeah, everybody adds Scarborough to their yeah. watch list coming out of TIFF if they weren't at TIFF. And this is what film festivals used to be about, discovering new voices, discovering new moment, um, new great movies. That aspect of discovery, the fact that Scarborough is sandwiched between you know, Belfast taking the win. We now have Belfast as a number one contender for the Oscar. I would say a lot of people mm-hmm. do. Sure. I had it on my list that sh- I showed nobody because we didn't have a website yet. I <laughs> two weeks ago, and that means nothing. Nobody could believe me. It doesn't matter. But Power of the Dog was the second runner-up. So between these two major contenders, here you got this cool ass indie film that people are really excited about. So that's awesome to see it getting sandwiched in there. Yeah, TIFF has always been kind of the film festival for me. I know a lot of people like Telluride, a lot of people like Cannes, a lot of people love Venice. But if, I, if there's one I've ever really wanted to get to, it's it's TIFF for me. And it, they seem to have taken on this role of tastemaker and kingmaker all at once. They kind of set the stage for what's to come in the Oscars race. And like you're alluding to here, they they make movies important i mean we have not mentioned scarborough once in these thousands of oscar race checkpoints we've done and now it's something we have to keep an eye on as the oscars uh road moves on and moves along here speaking of other winners the best documentary winner from tiff is called the rescue we've previewed it you actually had a chance to watch it mike well how about a quick review of the rescue case in point to what we just said the rescue should be a big fat hit it is a big fat hit. It's my favorite movie of the year though, so oh, far, wow. Mike, coming off of last night. Now, I'm on a high after my screening last night with the uh, International Documentary Association, thanks to those guys who put this out early. That's a great deal, by the way. For $55, become a member of the IDA, and hmm. you can watch every documentary contender from now until the end of the year. So that's oh, a wow. very that cool. Oh, that is a great deal. Yeah, great deal. I got like... 40 films lined up on Aventive. Aventive. Why do you do this to yourself? Why the documentary feature category? Well, here's the thing now. <laughs> the rescue As becomes... soon as the words, this is my favorite movie of the year, you know it's not going to get nominated. It's it, it, No, you're absolutely right. The rescue now becomes that movie for me. Mm-hmm. Like, this is about the unlikely heroes, the most re- resilient survivors, a Thai community that embraces a global community of good people sacrificing their lives to save these kids. And a real true story that in one way feels kind of like the, repri- the reprise of the 1990s Men on a Mission movies that became the 2000s, you know, dorky eclectic group of people on a mission movies, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, anything like Galaxy Quest to the MCU in a way. You right. Know, Sure. This is that movie where these obscure cave divers become worldwide celebrities and 
yeah, like Ted Lasso said, it's the hope that gets you now, right? To re- re- you know, rephrase, paraphrase that. <laughs> Dick Johnson is dead. Apollo 11, won't you be my neighbor? Jane, maybe now the rescue. Every year, this documentary feature branch has condemned one of their biggest hit movies yeah. on that year and snubbed it at the Oscars after the movie has racked up an Oscars resume, what in usually other categories is an Oscar re- resume. So I'm terrified that the rescue... <laughs> This is a me problem. <laughs> the dichotomy not- between you and I, where yeah. it's like, I've gotten so fed up with the doc feature branch that I've just thrown my hands up and forgotten, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done trying. And you're like, no, I'm going to spend $55 and watch every doc feature possibility. I will that. figure this out. That. I'm going to review four <laughs> later on from the Camden International <laughs> Film Festival that I, I really enjoyed. And I've seen 60 so far this year. And I'm probably going to watch God, another. man. Yeah. I, I can't get enough of them. I really love this genre now, this this style of film. And yet, the big hits from this category are being ignored and passed yeah. over, it seems, deliberately. Because yeah. I think, again, I think there's an impetus in this branch to go with the you hardcore think? journalism. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and that's not, it's not a bad impulse to say, all right, we get one category, let's go with the five films, we're all guerrilla filmmakers, let's go with the five films that inspire the journalists in, in, in our branch. Yeah, let's right? let's glorify what it means to be a documentarian. I, I agree, it's a good mindset, but they do it at the, you know, behest or, or lack of consideration for what, the movie is that makes them the most exposure in that given year for the last few years. Yes. Because like my octopus teacher, when people watch that movie, they love it. Right. They love it. Whoever they are. Like when people watch, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Had a box office, Mike Mm -hmm. Apollo 11 had a box office. They were setting records. Dick Johnson is dead. Had a huge viewership on Netflix. And yeah, Jane was a huge hit on that geo before the rescue is now going to be a huge hit. On that geo. So you're right. They're kind of in, in at least in the awards body. I don't know if there's jealousy. I don't know if they're saying that movie's just a hit, so it doesn't need the Oscar praise. Let's yeah, let's tout up the, the hardcore journalism. You may be here for the outrage of your favorite documentary not making the Oscar stage, but can I interest you in this adorable octopus? You know, that maybe <laughs> that type of thinking too. Or like if, the the box office is the reward, is it, the Oscar for yeah. the most popular doc. If they leave it up to the rest of the Academy, the Academy is going to pick the popular movie. Right. That's, mm-hmm. Which is, again, the weirdest thing because it doesn't happen for the rest of the categories. <laughs> Just this one. <laughs> yeah. Documentary feature and international feature. I, uh, I admire your resolve to figure those two out because I cannot get my head around either one. And every year that passes makes me feel like more of an idiot when it comes to both those categories. Uh, you're, you're not. You actually pay attention to the news, whereas I just live the news out two years later when they make a movie about it. But look, speaking of resolve, Tiff, they picked a best of the Midnight Madness section. And it is, of course, Titan, the Palme d'Or winner, Michael. I'm going to see this this Sunday night at the New York Film Festival. I am terrified, so I'm ne- I'm going to need to build my resolve to see this movie because the every review I get, it just get the sink I get a, even more of a sinking feeling about watching this whatever this will be film to tan. 
It stars Agatha Roussel as a mentally disturbed woman who becomes pregnant after having sex with a car. A review from the BBC called it the most shocking film of 2021. That's the blurb you get on Google from Wikipedia. So that's the featured highlight of how to describe Titan. <laughs> Body horror is the word that just keeps coming up to me. Like, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm just af- If she picks a scab in this, I'm just going to run out squealing. It's the gritty version of Transformers. She becomes the car after having sex with it. And, yeah. Right. Never mind. This is going to be like open heart surgery in this movie. Right. Sure. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Sincerely, I am. I can't wait to see that movie. <laughs> I, I'm so terrified. But, Mike, we're going to do like a make the case slash box office segment now. I think it's appropriate, I would say, because uh, Shang-Chi won its third weekend. But there are some new <laughs> new movies in the fray. Uh, so shout out to Shang-Chi. $21 million at the domestic box office three weeks in a row. That's awesome. Free Guy yeah. is still holding, making some money in second. Cry Macho. Cry Macho was third, $5.2 million after its day and date release. We both did not like this movie. That's a nice mm-hmm. way of putting it because mm-hmm. we're sad because we're in awe of Clint Eastwood as a filmmaker at this age. We've sure. been saying it all along. Like I, w- I think if he made a documentary, if somebody made a documentary about Clint Eastwood directing Cry Macho, we would respect that 100 times more yes. than th- what yeah. we got here. This, this movie. You remember the praise <laughs> I gave Aaron Sorkin for the efficiency and entertainment and yeah. setting up every piece of exposition that I we do. needed for like 10 people in the opening 14 minutes or so of the trial of the Chicago 10 Seven? characters, right. Like, that movie was fraught with its own problems, and we don't think it should have been a Best Picture contender. But, like, the first 14 minutes of that movie creatively montage its way through every main player's motivation and goals and it set us up comfortably for the next two hours of screen time and we were caught up right and it was really expertly crafted and i feel like clint eastwood watched that movie and watched the first 14 minutes and was just like boy what a waste of time this is (laughs) i i can do this in a seventh as long (laughs) because the exposition dump in cry macho is almost unlike anything i've ever seen before it's, it's so audacious. It's audacious. It's like the first four minutes of the movie in like six sentences <laughs> split out, spoken in ways in which no human has ever... The, the expo dump in this is mm-hmm. like if an alien had come to Earth posing as a human, but the only way that it had known how people talk is that it was programmed to have watched 10,000 hours of Lifetime movies before it hit Earth. Like... That's all I can describe at the setup of this. It's preposterous. It's Dr. Loomis on an elevator (laughs) in Halloween 4 at the psychiatric uh, center of Haddonfield. Uh, Just because we don't have time. We don't. Yada, yada, yada. Let's get to the road trip. Right. Clint Eastwood about to dance with uh, a beautiful woman at a restaurant. And that's (laughs) where we want to get to this movie. That's why it's frustrating because there are moments of sweetness and humor and the glints of Eastwood's movie star past in this movie that make me unable to quote unquote hate it because I want to hate it because it's just like every scene is the scene at the grocery store from the Irishman. (laughs) I mean, he throws a punch in this movie. He's 91 years old and he throws like a, they should have sped up the film and made, (laughs) 
It's oh, the Clint. most hilarious punch I've ever seen. He can barely walk, and he's doing all this action. So he can barely movie, speak, the poor guy. Ba- the poor guy is like, he says one thing, and then he oh, he has got to take a breath. Yeah. And the, the worst part about it is that every single other character, I texted you this as I'm watching it, every single other character in the movie is like mimicking this, you know, a movie legend, movie star legends, you know, delivery. So mm. the kid is like, it's just not just the kid. It's every single character. They're just given these lines of dialogue and fits and spurts because Clint can't catch his breath. I'll give it the fact that this made $5 million on top of being a day and date release. I think that actually proves that Clint Eastwood can still draw a box Absolutely. office. Absolutely. Um, Never mind the content of the film. I do take exception. Like I don't, <laughs> I, I I find myself not being able to not hate it because, <laughs> yeah. like we know, he, Richard Jewell was great. We yeah. Richard Jewell had three we thought Academy worthy performances in it, and it was a good story. And like that was just his last film. It was just a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's because he was directing himself and and being the lead actor. I don't think any ninety year old should be. I mean, what he's able to do at ninety one is actually amazing. But this just, yeah, this this wasn't. I I didn't. I didn't even end up giving it a grade. It was just on in the background for the most of it. I couldn't keep yeah, my couldn't keep myself interested. It's really bad. It's really bad. It, it's unfortunate because like some of the money scenes are are good. Like the finale's good. Mm-hmm. So if you're like going for goods delivered, you'll get some of those. You know, it's it's. I I don't know. It's 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 we're assholes to hate it. Is what it is. It's and, a 91 year old who directed a movie. That's what it they, is. They shot the vo- like. yeah. They shot the vomit draft because what? Because he didn't write a second draft. <laughs> they and they and they have all these scenes. It just fe- it feels like you you said it. It feels like the opposite of what it should feel like. It feels like a student film. Yeah. And yeah. we we talked to Paul Walter Hauser about the fact that he was more like four take Clint a couple years ago, right? Mm-hmm. With, with two years ago with Richard Jewell, and that's and and he definitely took the time necessary to let Paul get what he wanted out of certain scenes and really attack certain scenes and try them from different angles. And it wasn't, you know, yeah, normal scenes may, maybe it was like four takes, but it wasn't the two take. It wasn't that expedited as we thought. This seemed that expedited. Not something I will probably ever return to. And you can say the same for the next movie we're going to talk about. Wow. So this is the thing. I was really not allowing myself out of precautions to go to the movies because I've been exposed to COVID. I don't have it. I'm fine. It's, it's it, you know, no symptoms, no nothing, whatever. The Eyes of Tammy Faye is something I wanted to see that we've been previewing for a while. We're going to talk about the box office in a minute. But first, let's talk about the film. What did so you didn't like this? No, no. I, I mean, I guess it's a combination of a couple of things. One is that it, it wasn't great, but I guess the easiest way to talk about my feelings for this movie and to tell you that I, I literally had forgotten that I saw it because <laughs> reading Twitter on Sunday night after football and after the Emmys, I saw someone post, I don't remember who or what the context was, but somebody posted something about the eyes of Tammy Faye. And my first thought was, oh, I wonder what I'm going to think about that movie. And then I was like, oh, wait, I actually saw this movie Friday. <laughs> Oh, no. So I had forgotten I had seen it. That's the type of impression that it left. Look, I went into this movie ready and willing to be amazed and impressed, but there's just not much there to conjure up those types of feelings. I think the story is really a mess and, and fuzzy, and the antagonist that the plot chooses to have as its main centerpiece 
to me, is far less interesting than the antagonist that should be getting the story's attention. And there's a couple of them. One's actually a person. Another one's kind of an idea. And I think either one of those could bend the focus, but they weren't. And on top of that, the misdeeds of the Bakers are either put solely on Jim's shoulders or they're just stuffed so far into the background of the plot that they never really get the proper focus to begin with. And we talked about, in previewing this, we were there were worries and signs and indications that this might be kind of viewing Tammy Faye's life with rose-colored glasses. I think it does attempt to do that. It's not a total fluff piece, mm-hmm. but there is a very limited character arc for her. I mean, it... it of uh-huh. of the characters that have storylines and progressions and go through feelings and emotions... I, I think she you could say, argue that she's maybe definitely at least second, but maybe third uh, in this movie. It's not to say it's without its positives altogether. There's some. Everything you hear about Jessica Chastain totally losing herself in the character is true. And I think that's what this movie is more than anything. It's kind of a, a messy, unfocused plot with two really good, if not great, performances that are going to try to drag you through the entirety of the two-hour runtime and try to amend for the sins of the screenplay. Um Jessica Chastain is good. Andrew Garfield, I think, is even more impressive and shockingly overcomes his makeup. Oh. And yeah, if you uh, if you know anything about my history with Andrew Garfield, that's this is high praise. I think this is the best he's been since The Social Network. I, wow. He's really, really good in this performance, I feel, and he's not getting enough praise at all. Um, but <laughs> all that aside... I don't know what the point of this movie is after seeing it, which is kind of the perfect bow to put on the package of a movie that for months I said, I have no idea who this is supposed to be made for and marketed to. The songs are good. The sound is good. The performances really do do everything they can to keep you invested. But it's for me, it's just not enough. I don't think it has any Oscars legs, but at least it wouldn't for the Academy of Mike one, but I can also see this being the type of movie where certain critics, you know, fawn and get behind it and they go crazy just because Jessica Chastain's breathing on a screen. So I I can see it being that type of polarizing film that ends up getting some kinds of Oscars legs for me though. It's a C movie and it's one that I've already, like I said, pretty much forgotten that I've seen and will not see again. That is not the review I I expected at all, especially coming from other reviews. So I'm, I'm glad you saw it. I'm, you know, I think uh, friends of ours have have been messaging us about it, and mm-hmm. I, I, I again, you know, I figured it would hit nerves, and that seems like the opposite of what it tri- happened. It here. tries. I mean, you and I spoke about how we have religious baggage, and I yeah. think that the screenplay was written with that in mind, and it tried to shy away from a lot of the stuff that would outrage somebody coming in with a religious baggage. But I think it does it to the detriment of the story because there's so much conflict and so much like what the bakers did and what kind of people they really were, at least more so than they were perceived as it's kind of just shoved in the background and yada yada. And it's really just a story about boy, isn't Tammy Faye just a, a girl who can keep her head up no matter what life throws at her. And that's wow. not the story I wanted to see. You want you wanted to get involved with the yeah. False give me an arc of a, yeah. yes. Are give they me false? an arc. Let me let me see if she's rede- a yeah. redemption story. Let me see if she's sorry. You know, like there's just nothing there. Or or was she misled? Totally misled. Or, sure. Yeah, we because we've seen those stories before. And and yes, they're let they're perhaps less rounded than this one tried to be. 
That's I mean, there, there's hints at it out. here. There, there's yeah, there's hints at it here where they're you know they they approach this who knows what and what exactly were the misdeeds and misgivings and but the, it's just the antagonism's really really weirdly done to me. It's just really sloppy and it's unfocused and it kind of switches and there's there's some stuff that I think can be taken totally the wrong way and like actually result in like an oh god like a cringe fest like why the hell are they hinting at that type thing huh. like. It's just not something I, I I have a vested interest in seeing again. Wow, I'm shocked. I think uh, I think we're not shocked about the box office necessarily because the eyes of Tammy Faye Baker did 675k at 450 theaters. Now doing half a million or so at a, a limited release is not the worst thing in the world. But look, I mean we've we've seen you know Parasite do a couple million mm-hmm. and in a couple dozen theaters. So uh, theater count is small, but it still should do better than that. So that is a that is a low gross. And yeah, that's we're, I think there's confusion at who the target audience is. Now, the fact that it doesn't offend Christians is a good thing. I'm glad. I like I think there should be introspective movies made about, you know, religion and religious people and the corruption of all organizations that we can all watch and and not just get pissed off at because of partisanship. I mean, that's a good thing, I would say. But this one sounds like it didn't go far enough. Yeah, that's, in any it's, direction. It's reli- wholly reliant on two performances, and the performances are good. I mean, Andrew Garfield was I I was shocked at how much I enjoyed his performance. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it did enough for him to quell the blood feud that he and I have that he's unaware of, but. <laughs> Uh, we, we, they were both very good. Jessica Chastain is very good. I don't know that I would... Look, if either one's going to make any top five list for mine, I would have Garfield on supporting actor before I put Chastain on top five for lead actress. That is shocking. All right, yeah. so the last question, though. Makeup and hairstyling. A lot's been made about the makeup for Tammy Buffet Baker on the one hand. You've had a lot to say about Garfield's makeup. Was it distracting to you? Was, was, it, was it excellent? Where did you fall on it? I was surprised at how little I focused on Garfield's makeup. He's actually able to overcome it, which really did shock me. They they were smart in the way they approached it. I mean, the first opening scene, Tammy Faye Baker is talking about her makeup and why things are the way they are on her. Wow. I think that was smart for them to address it. It's I don't think it's distracting. I mean, you still do see a lot of Jessica Chastain and a lot of Andrew Garfield through the makeup. You kind of don't, at least I didn't lose myself like to that extent. But it's not as distracting as we feared. So the fact that it's not distracting and it, it kind of fits, does that make it Oscars worthy for you? Or you, are you saying it's like it's not egregious, but it's not awards worthy? Or, 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 or do you think like coming away from it? Actually, yeah, the fact that, I, that it fits makes it and blends in maybe makes it Oscar worthy. I can see a world in which it gets credit for playing the role it does because it is addressed within the plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get, yeah, I mean, you know, like I, makeup and hair, I always go back to, to Suicide Squad. I mean, you know, that could be a one nomination thing for a movie, too, if Jessica Chastain doesn't get the uh, the recognition from the Academy for this. I can't imagine this does anything in screenplay, director, picture, or anything like that, especially with the low box office number out the gate like that. But would it surprise me to see it land a single nomination for makeup and hairstyling? No, that wouldn't shock me. Would I have it there right now? Probably not. So basically, 
Jessica Chastain's alive right now. Even if this movie kind of falls off the map and is a bit of a blip and it doesn't work until maybe it's Second Life. Yeah, she's on... Amy Adams, though, right? Like, I think she can yeah. do... If, if she does a movie, she's alive in the in any kind of awards conversation. Well, so she could be this year's Glenn Close and get, and get that second nomination. How dare you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. I'm going to review a couple more documentaries quick for this Make the Case segment because I thought they were good. And again, shout out to the Camden Film Festival. I've watched eight movies so far, I think, and a six wow. out of the eight. Six out of the eight are really good. Um, so I, I recommend any of those titles if you guys are looking at them, and especially these four. Citizen Ash is CNN's biopic about tennis legend and civil rights hero Arthur Ashe. So go see it when it when it when it's when it's available. Nat Geo's Becoming Cousteau is of course about the oceanographer and anti-pollution advocate, climate change advocate, uh, Jacques Cousteau. And then I watched uh, Showtime's The Real Charlie Chaplin, which is probably shockingly the best of the three. It has reenactments, The Real Charlie Chaplin, episodic production segments of of his biggest films, and most importantly, and I think all three docs have this. These are dimensional portrayals of the subject so you think you're getting puff pieces right yeah but instead you have all of arthur ashe's biographers admitting some of his issues you have jacques cousteau and a lot of uh interviews late in his life admitting all of his mistakes starting out working for the oil company starting uh as a fisherman and, and killing sharks in his first documentary and my god huh what you see about charlie chaplin i mean there are huge segments showing his issues showing of which there are a lot if i'm remembering right oh my god yeah so these are not puff pieces now that is good it's necessary yeah and obviously the flaws of an arthur ash are not really comparable to 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 a charlie i'm not sure i'm not trying to make false equivalencies there but as you know something educational something journalistic these are worthwhile so these are all b grades i think i gave the real charlie chapman a b plus 87 somehow that it, it just worked on me because i'm i'm watching like how do you how do you take it's almost like the michael jackson thing how do you take the art which is so good and then you take the allegations which are just so heinous and horrific Can you separate the art from the artist should you separate how the art from the artist should right? yeah oh my god i mean he does something like the dictator and he gives that speech to the world in the middle at the at the onset of world war ii yeah and then he's also marrying yeah he's marrying a you know 17 year old kid it's come to light in the last couple of years and maybe as a result of this documentary being produced is why it did but it's come to light in the last couple of years at least to my knowledge that i've i've seen more and more of charlie chaplin you know not the greatest guy behind the scenes and actually kind of a gross human being I'm glad to see there's an actual retelling and accounting and nobody likes seeing this stuff. But like you said, for educational purposes, if you're going to call yourself an all encompassing documentary or a bio, a biopic, or in this case, a bio documentary, you have to address it. It's almost like the reaction to all the musical biopics we've been seeing over the years. Yeah. Where it's not as dimensional as we would hope where the Mm -hmm. dimension is. All right. They're addiction. They're, they're addictions. Right. Okay. That's one. That's one dimension, but that right. doesn't really get into the, you know, peep, peep, we all have issues. We all have cycle. I mean, watch an episode of Ted Lasso. We all. <laughs> Not to the extent of Charlie Chaplin. Right. No, <laughs> right. but that's right. the thing. If you have those people out there that are 
my God, you got to yeah. address it. You can't right. just go and talk about him as a as a film director and right. as a comedian. You have to address it, and they did, and I, I give them credit. So those three documentaries, uh, much better than I thought they would be, actually. And the fourth, heart-wrenching stuff, Torn, which played at Telluride. It's this about is the, the documentary about Lisa Loeb and her song from the 90s? <laughs> no, it's about... Uh, Alex Lowe, the famous mountain climber, and it was made by his eldest son, Max Lowe. What a life. What a story this is. The family saga is, I I mean, I understand why the kid's like, all right, I got to make a documentary about my family if I'm going to be a filmmaker. (laughs) I got to do it. (laughs) No way around it. Uh, The fact that he had the courage to do this, the fact that uh, his family had the courage to cooperate, I just think... It's it's incredible, so it's worthy of being something that played at uh, Telluride and TIFF and and now uh, Camden and Nat Geo picked it up or has it and uh, seek it out. It's worth watching. It's it's an old fashioned dose of hope, th- you know, through grief, through you know a nightmare situation. I just thought this is a movie with a lot of conflicts that you know you're you're wondering the same questions that they're posing in the movie, like. Why did why did he do this? Why did the family go in this direction? And yet, you know, when you see the final results, you're like, oh my god, I'm I'm, what is that falling down my cheek? And <laughs> does this really happen to me? Now, the the curtain was too slow, and he probably had one or two or three scenes that are a bit contrived at the end there. I I ding him for that, and I probably keep it as a B instead of a B plus. Okay, where pro- so yeah, I mean, as a str- someone who analyzes these movies, the structure of them problems but still torn really worked on an emotional level for me in particular so torn has a happy ending i imagine citizen ash and becoming Cousteau and on more gleeful notes than depressing ones knowing charlie chaplin maybe not being the greatest guy in the world does that one have a bright line ending or is it kind of left up to uh look we're just reporting the facts here you decide for yourself how you feel about him yeah it it, it, it really is that in- yeah. intense because I mean, the fan, everybody's given voices in these mm. movies, too. The, the people that are involved in the lives, like Arthur Ashe's widow and Jacques Cousteau's whole family, they're speaking on film. And that's the other thing about the Cousteau movies is I watch Steve Zissou because I'm rewatching all the Wes Anderson movies. Yep. And I watched The Life Aquatic twice with family on weekends around <laughs> becoming Cousteau, which again, it's a whole other element because you know, the, the missteps of the life aquatic are really just, you know, mirroring become Jacques Cousteau's real life. And everybody's like, why did Wes Anderson do that? He had this perfectly good movie. Why didn't he, would he do that in the third act? And it's because of Jacques Cousteau's real biography. Uh, I huh. would say. So again, if I, I, I I've been, I've been really sinking my teeth into a bunch of properties and a bunch of like side research projects like we're going to get to in a minute with uh, Nightmare Alley, etc. So this is this has been a fun like prelude into our festival season and, you know, kind of getting into it with a couple documentaries has been a good like warm up for my New York festival stuff. But all right, I Mike. Weep. I weep for your mindset in a couple months when the yeah. documentary feature category announces its noms. <laughs> It's very. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. I'm just, all I can do is brace for it now, right? All I can do is brace for it, and I'm gonna watch the tan, and I'm gonna be literally upside down in uh, walking Alice down Tully the street. Hall. You're gonna think that Honda's giving you flirting eyes. After I'm gonna tan? be crying on the Metro North train, and I'm gonna think that I'm getting flirty eyes from uh, you know what the F and F one fifty stands for. 
<laughs> yeah, you're right. It's, I, I, there's no way around it. it I'm just going to be a mess. I'm going to be mm-hmm. a ball of mush. Uh, speaking of balls of mush, I think we are. Uh, we got some trailers here that we have to review. We're going to avoid the Halloween Kills trailer because we're going to do a Halloween. Uh, we're going to do a Halloween series kind of reboot. Prepisode. Prepisode, yep. A preview episode kind of gets you guys ready for Halloween Kills soon. Because we have to. We have yes. to. We did that Halloween rewatch series. It was wonderful. But we have the tragedy of Macbeth here, Michael. This is just a teaser. It's black and white. Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand. Uh, this is got to be a contender just based on the teaser alone for another cinematography award for another black and white movie costumes maybe as well uh and they're touting this macbeth story with the opening scenario of macbeth going to the witches something wicked this way comes yeah uh they're going with the true-to-life shakespearean retelling in this too i mean it's all medieval and dimly lit stone hallways and castle garb so i mean just with the talent attached there's a cohen brother there's denzel there's francis mcdormand this is going to be a contender i would think in a couple below the line categories i would be shocked if it's not on a lot of people's lists by the time we get to it just based off this look alone right is there a risk of black and white cannibalization that actually happens this award season oh yeah absolutely because because belfast might be that good right and because come on come on is also yeah. being you know and then yeah there's a couple black and white movies this year i oh. mean we usually end up with one i can't remember many years where we had two major should be award contenders that are black and white films roma, and it kind of to me it kind of takes away from the uniqueness of it was roma and cold war the same year now i'm forgetting i think they were weren't they Anyway, oh, it might be I two think, I, yeah, years. But even, I mean, I'll, even if that's, you know, that's two, I agree. But it's, ri- I mean, we, you just listed off three, and I think we had a, we were talking about a fourth one a couple weeks ago as well. So I, I'm legitimately worried, I think. Belfast is the, the, the leader in the clubhouse. Yeah. So if there's only spot for one, and there is a quota system on black and white cinematography, then yeah, this is probably going to have a harder time. But, I mean, there's a lot of smoke here. It's gorgeous. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the teaser... I want to see this. I am a fan of the story of Macbeth going back to my student days. This was like the first play that I read in high school where my teacher was like, listen, don't read the play first. Watch the film or watch the play first, uh, you know, the tape recording of a play first, and then let's study the text. So that was really cool. That was oh, that a, is cool. That was something I did throughout college. Literally every single play I had to read with my Shakespeare classes. Nope, I'm going and I'm watching, you know, the Mel Gibson version. I'm watching the Kenneth Branagh versions first. And then, you know, I'm watching the uh, the, the Oscar-winning versions of Hamlet before. I, See, I, you went to the right school system. We were just like force-fed Taming of the Shrew. And that was it. <laughs> no, this is like if I had access to the Fassbender version of Macbeth before I had to, you know read it in class, I would have done it. Now, that is not my favorite version. I think I'm going to rewatch that and reread some of this play before seeing this movie because, Michael, this tragedy of Macbeth is positioned now, opening nighter in New York, closing nighter in London. Looks like Apple TV Plus is waiting and seeing where they can just plop it down and give it its optimum Oscar launch because they think it they might have something here. Yeah, this feels like a big deal. I, just off this teaser trailer, I mean, this feels like something that maybe Apple knows can can be something special. And, dude, I could watch that one shot of Denzel, his salt and yeah. pepper beard with that little wry smile on his face in that in the black and white cinematography that he's got. Oh, my goodness. He looked like such a badass. One, the equalizer can't hold a candle to how Denzel looks in that one shot in this trailer, I think. One facial expression 
he is Macbeth. He is yeah. this. He he knows he's got his hand caught mm-hmm. in a cookie jar there. Mm-hmm. He knows he's not supposed to be doing it. I mean, I you could read into that one facial expression so much. That's why he's the best in the business, and that's why. Like you keep saying, Leo and Denzel, they shouldn't be denied future best actor winning. No, yeah, he, uh, he won. He won too recently. I'm sorry, he's already out of competition. Yeah, uh, we go from medieval Denzel to post-apocalyptic Tom Hanks. <laughs> Miguel Shapochnik of uh, Game of Thrones, a lot of the big battle episodes. He's the director of from that series, Repo Men, etc. All right, Tom Hanks. You got a beautiful dog in this. Tom Hanks got a robot who I guess is voiced by Caleb Landry Jones because Caleb Landry Jones is Jeff, uh, whoever that is. It sounds kind of like Caleb Landry Jones in the trailer. Mm-hmm. What did you think here, Mike? What did I? I mean, I thought "What If Castaway," but I am Legend mixed with Chappie is what I thought. Plus Wally, yeah. So, so I, I thought Wally at first. I did have that, but <laughs> Mad Max, maybe. maybe I, I would think more Mad Max or Twister than I would Wally. I think based on what happens in the trailer. Twister. There's a twister in here. Um, <laughs> Apple knows what it's doing, though, right? I mean, what if Wilson was a, wasn't a volleyball? He's a beautiful dog. And what if right. <laughs> Caleb Landry Jones is a funny, clumsy robot who can't drive or walk at first, but then saves the day when a tornado is involved? And look, if this movie ends with the people following them turning out to be Helen Hunt with a cat and you have that <laughs> you have that perfectly symmetrical end of the world Hollywood family would you be all that surprised I would be thrilled <laughs> <laughs> I mean the VFX looks great it really it does. does and that's very important you know if one of your main players is going to be an animatronic robot I don't understand why one of the last scientists on earth is storm chasing or maybe these death clouds are just hunting him down, and that's you know. No, in some... the trailer, he like has to leave because like a big storm is going to hit his bunker or whatever. Oh, okay, and then maybe I, I missed that. But like, you know, some kind of event happened where humanity was wiped away, but not all of humanity. And Tom Hanks is this. Ge- it's it's I am legend is the story basically. He's this genius scientist that's trying to hook up with other humanity, knowing that they might be dangerous or not out there. Well, it, but you're click and play on it though, right? I mean, that's the thing, like. This is on Apple TV Plus. They got this brand now of just these charming films and these movies that you gotta click play on because yeah. of the star power. Yeah, yeah. I, I've actually, you know, I've almost watched Captain. I've, I've still never seen Captain Phillips. I've almost clicked play on that the last couple nights, and I'm I'm, I'm bound to eventually. But uh, anything Tom Hanks does, yeah, of course you're hitting play on it. You haven't seen Captain Phillips yet. Yeah, it's a good no. movie. It's solid. I, it, I, I mean, better performances in the movie than Hanks. But all right, mm, good to know. Okay. The shaky cam still bothers me. Paul Greengrass, the, the camera shakes too much. But all right, the, you're right. The VFX look good. And Finch, let's talk about Showtime's kind of original movie play here with the humans. This is written and directed by Stephen Karam. He is the writer of uh, MMO favorite film, The Seagull. Michael, <laughs> remember The Seagull? Remember those That's inside a, jokes? It's Brian Dennehy's uh, classic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Stephen Yun, Beanie Feldstein, Amy Schumer, June Squibb, and some serious Oscar buzz coming out of TIFF for Jane Hootie Shell. Oh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, Hootie Shell, <laughs> and Richard Jenkins. Yeah, I've seen this one as as a divisive uh, that that famous word again. Uh, some people love it, some people not. But it does seem like, at least from everything I've seen, uh, Jenkins is kind of the torchbearer for performance awards hopes out of this one. This is a cast of MMO favorites, right? I mean, Drew sure. Squibb, Schumer, Feldstein, mm-hmm. Yun. I mean, the, the people that have been knock, knocking on the Oscar door, uh, Jane. 
has been <laughs> I'm not gonna say her last name. <laughs> she's been in so many movies that she's that person. She is that woman. That, right. That you know that girl actor right. that we see and now she's gonna be featured and we're thrilled. So let's uh let's get her some Oscar buzz. And yeah, June Squibb is in this as well from Nebraska years ago. That was she was irresistible and uh Sure. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the kind of movie I usually go in for. Like, I yeah. have this theatrical bias to films, uh, uh, for films that are just people talking, great stars in a movie. Now, French exit type stuff. I got those kinds of vibes with, like, a more depressing yeah. uh, setting. Well, that's the thing. Like, people, people are saying this is not... Like, this trailer is not the movie. Like, the movie didn't get into... The trailer didn't get into what this movie's actually going to go. So there's twists and turns here. I don't want to spoil any reviews that I've read. Okay. So it's not necessarily just going to be the dis- dysfunctional family Thanksgiving or the fish out of water or the uh, kind of mental health issue play. Well, that's the focus of this trailer. I mean, there's a lot of focus on depression, the depression of real life. I mean, there's obscene graffiti, half-assed fixes in apartments that are probably being price gouged all the same by landlords. You got dirty mattresses, the overall burden of just, you know, the literal monetary expense of just being alive, which I think is kind of depressingly funny. It's gallows humor in its own right. So that's the the idea we get from the trailer but yet you're right i haven't read a lot of reviews but i know the the genres of this is kind of like family horror hmm. yeah so i don't, I don't know, know what that, that means that, i don't either i don't know that that lends itself is it i know it means there's a lot of dark hallways i know i know <laughs> for sure it means dark hallways because there are hallways in this trailer and they are dark and sometimes they're big hallways, and sometimes they're short hallways. But there are two eternal truths about this trailer. One truth is that there will be hallways, and the other truth is that those hallways will be shot. So that's that's what I got out of the trailer for The Human so far. <laughs> well, I'm going to click play on it November 24th sure. on Showtime immediately. Uh, I'm not going to be I, – I don't have this slated on the festivals, uh, unfortunately, uh, at the regional festivals, we're, you know, we'll tend. But, uh, yeah, this is going to be eligible for both Oscars and Emmys. Do they have to choose? we got to figure that out, too. But, Michael, let's close with the big hitter here. Uh, uh, two big hitters. Nightmare Alley, first and foremost. This looks Oscar-y. Uh, it does look Oscar-y. You've seen recently the 1947 Nightmare Alley film. So why don't you kind of set the table for us there? Yeah, it's a dark story about con artists at 1930s, 40s, 20s. I don't know the setting. I couldn't figure it out. I may have to read the book now because I don't. I, I want to know exactly historically where this fits in. But this is a story about carna, con artist carnies, played by Tyrone Powell. And, you know, from the first film, we had Joan Blondell, Colleen Gray, and Helen Walker with these three just tremendous in-depth female supporting actor roles in the film that are going to be now played by Kate Blanchett and Tony Collette and Rooney Mara. And then you have these other side roles that are juicy for Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, David Strathairn that were just, I mean, this could be a performance showcase more than anything, but not just that because we got Guillermo del Toro about to have this playground of this carnival and, yeah, I, I just think, like, for him to use his post-Oscars capital on, on a project, that 1947 film was ahead of its time. That was dark. That was cool. in-depth. That was badass. 
and was it necessarily as I mean, it was on the fringe of not being, you know, because you had the freak shows. Mm, right. You know, it's not, not politically correct. Well, it doesn't hold up well to 2021 lenses. They don't, they don't look at the freak shows as something good. I mean, it's this horrible, right. or it's this horrifying, like, you know, kind of thing that's haunting the movie. Right. So that's involved. And yeah, I mean, there, there are characters in the movie that are just thumb in their nose it's psychology there's addiction there's all these things that they didn't understand then that they that the writer of the novels like we know we don't understand this and here here are major societal issues that we there's a reckoning coming for them so yeah guillermo del toro is gonna gonna use this as just this perfect storm of forces in in this story I do have incredibly high hopes for this. I'm a sucker for a carnival movie anyway. I'm a sucker sucker for a con, con I'm a sucker for a con artist movie as well. But one thing kept gnawing at me at this trailer. So mm-hmm. like we have Willem Dafoe, he's describing this giant circus act monster the whole trailer. Is it beast or is it man? And I get the double entendre being played and the, this movie's backdrop is that of a nineteen thirties carnival, but at the same time we're supposed to be questioning Bradley Cooper's character's motives. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is it beast? Is it man? <laughs> the only thing I think during this trailer is the only thing I can think that Guillermo del Toro has allowed me to think, which is this. Bradley Cooper's going to end up banging that man beast, right? That's that's where this movie's... Like, maybe they share a live chicken instead of a bath, but there's some... There's, this ends with interspecial pound town, doesn't it? That's what... Here's your best picture award, but Bradley Cooper's having sex with a man beast. I pissed myself when I read, read your copy earlier. I even wrote something in between it. And you you had an awkward part. I couldn't say it because I didn't want to step on it. That's uh, that's that's. We should just do guess the plot. It's like you don't even. Want, every time I bring up a guess the plot, you don't want to do it, but you do it here and and you you kill I'm just, it. I, I'm a student of history. I'm Guillermo del Toro told me it was okay to have sex with things that you shouldn't have sex with and shouldn't exist. Fish, yeah. Fish. yeah. So um, now. Uh, I don't know. Um, probably the, the answer is uh, I don't know. I think uh, I think that'd be hilarious. Uh, can we, we get all back? Know. He could take this in any direction. Production design, though, looks phenomenal. I mean, you got a carnival, uh, you know, curated by Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. and his whole house looks like it belongs in a carnival, right? I mean, he's it's just, his house is notorious for having all the memorabilia in it, and the costumes on display are just incredible. And the cinematography, wow, the lighting. This year is going to be loaded with yeah. serious contenders in the crafts categories, in the artisan categories. For sure. French Dispatch, Dune, the next film we're about to talk about, Nightmare Alley. Wow, it's going to be a hell of a race, I would say. Cannot wait. I cannot wait. I agree. But okay, West Side Story, Michael. <laughs> Initial reactions. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh boy. Boy, oh boy. Um oh boy. <laughs> boy. Alright. Let's uh let's start with the good. Yeah. Rachel Ziegler looks like a bona fide movie star, I think. Sounds great. Yeah. Wow. Agree. The cinematography is absolutely Spielbergian in every way, which is Top tier. I mean, Top there's tier. a lot of a lot of tracking shots. People go through doors that open up to these lush settings. That high school gym feels like as big a deal to me watching it as it's meant to feel for the characters going through it because it's of how the camera treats it. Close enough to all our proms. 
and yeah. all our parents' proms, and yet it's still big Hollywood production values. I, I loved it. I mean, it's just, he doesn't have Eastwood problems here. Like right. this, the audio is crystal clear and beautiful. The Tonight Tonight song, just iconic stuff. I mean, product like you said, production design, best sound, costumes seemed like the floor, the Oscars floor mm-hmm. for West Side Stories remake here. Even if the movie doesn't work, which it might not. So let's talk about the bad. (laughs) Um, Holy shit are the Ansel Elgort allegations playing in my head throughout this trailer. Could he have been picked to play in a worse movie, like by Hollywood? And it's not their fault, but Jesus. I don't know how you, like, you could have cut a different trailer, too, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like, you could have saved these scenes that are very questionable with him in them for not the trailer. But this goes from showing us a meet-cute to just... A straight up creepy stalker vibes where he's accosting this girl behind the gym bleachers and standing over her in an intimidating fashion. I, it's just bizarre. To, I, I could not get. get I, I wanted Rachel Ziegler to get the hell out of there. <laughs> well, he's the gang leader, right? I mean, I guess. There's no way to around this. There's, in the movie, is there a way around this in the trailer? Absolutely. And we, we kind of saw. The teaser trailer completely avoid him. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was the right move at the time, quite frankly. I mean, I'd much rather have a trailer avoid him than have this. And then you go from him being very intimidating, having the allegations playing in your mind, very weird scene, to yeah. the next, there's a voiceover of somebody saying, everywhere I go, I see my town being taken over by people I don't like. And that shows us the first shot of any black people in the cast in this movie with that message being played over. And I don't care if that's the antagonist saying it or if that's a, a bad character. That's just it, it came off in such a bizarrely racist, borderline racist way. To yeah, me. well, they're going to rebuke that racism. We know I'm that. sure that's the that's the theme of the movie. But no, I, I agree with you. The there it's a risky trailer to say the very least. Yeah, uh, I think you're not going to get away from the romance being the main storyline of the film. You're not going to like you could cut this story any way you want and you can cut the trailers any way you want. The problem is you probably are disingenuous if you're I mean, because Ansel Elgort's character is going to be a main character. One of the first two in the movie, like unless you CGI him out a la Christopher Plummer of a few years ago. Yeah. Not that Christopher Plummer was CGI as someone else. Voldemort was CGI'd out and Christopher Plummer was put in. But unless you're going to, you know, somehow get tall Chalamet in this movie instead, <laughs> which I'm sure they wish they could do, you, unless you reshoot it even, you're, you're yeah. screwed. I mean, there's, you know, the music's great, like you said. The sets look great. The shots look great. And my concerns about this movie have been eased exactly 0% so far. I'm, it, I don't shame. see a lot of bright side to this. Oh boy, whoa oh boy, is exactly the same <laughs> thing that went through my head when I was watching this trailer. And that, that made me laugh heartily when I saw you had wrote it down. And Michael Bay wants his lens flares back, by the way, Steve. Oh, but if you're going to steal from Michael Bay, that's that's a good steal, right? I, well, I, better than the other, sure. Yeah. No, oh it's, it's a movie that has this obvious awards-level uh, filmmaking, and yet... There is someone accused of sexual assault playing a Ugh. lead role in a romance. Accosting and a romance a where he's girl younger boy. than him, who he is much bigger than, in <sighs> private, 
in a place where nobody should be, and he's surrounded. It's just why pick that scene? What a Ugh. disaster! I know. Well, yeah, it, God darn it! I don't know. It's 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 a shame because it, it could be a story that really works with different casting right now. I am, uh, you know, if we're doing a top ten, we, you know, what are we most worried about? That swell episode we did. Uh, this yeah. is. Very high up there for me. So, uh, well, we said as much. We all yeah. agreed that yeah. was the number ten. We all picked three, and this was the tenth. That was, you know, not spoiler alert, but that was a big hit episode for us because I think it's it's obvious. And <sighs> we, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> they're genuine reactions, people. Uh, guys, as always, you know, are we wrong? What did you think about West Side Story, as well as any other trailers here that we reviewed? And we obviously, as always, want to hear from you about any other stories we covered here. Did you see The Eyes of Tammy Faye? Have you seen any of these documentaries that Mike has filled you in on? And what are your thoughts about the Emmys? You can leave us all of those, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social media, as we are. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at mm and Oscar on Twitter or Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five star review, those truly help us out a ton. Michael, let's get some words of wisdom and let's retell the people what might be coming next from us. So, yeah, we're going to revisit Haddonfield, uh, I think, for like a preview and to talk about our burning questions about what Halloween Kills is going to be all about and if it's going to work and some speculation some maybe I, I, I'm eager to rewatch the 2018 film when was the last time you watched that last week <laughs> <laughs> no I actually haven't watched it in a while so that's like going to be one of the first things I do but okay y'all, you're, you're ready you're ready for this episode is what I saying. watch that movie honestly once a month minimum I think Wow. Yeah. So you are totally... All right. So I'm going to be asking you questions. Maybe that's the episode. <laughs> I just ask you questions about, like, Easter eggs. You watch all these documentaries, and I just keep watching the same 2018 <laughs> horror movie. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying uh, for multiple reasons. But all right. So that's coming next. Obviously, we have big movies coming out in the in, in theaters uh, from Titan to uh, James Bond, No Time to Die, and, uh, of course, Halloween Kills, the next three weeks upcoming that we will preview and review for you guys. Oscar race checkpoints will be involved uh, because we'll need to do those. And yeah, I mean, our programming is kind of set for the, for the fall. It's review the contenders and, you know, talk about all the buzz and do our Oscar specials and Oscar news show. So that's, that's cool. In terms of words of wisdom, shoot your movie in black and white, right? I mean, that's the move. <laughs> You're a, making a move. You next. get a fast pass to a best director or a best, uh, best picture consideration. Smoke, that. have some smoke involved in <laughs> black and white and light. Yeah. Like, uh, play with light and mm-hmm. smoke. There you go. Here's your Oscar. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come get ready for the big fall sprint with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.